So we do have, uh, Oleg shared with us in the first service a great message about three elements in our foundation for ministry. You can get copies of that if you're interested in that. Um, and then I want to take just a few minutes this morning and continue talking about technologies of the Spirit or technologies for operating in the Spirit. And foundational scripture that we've been looking at, we're just going to go over it again, is from Hebrews chapter 11. So if you come there with me, Hebrews 11, verse 1, lots of different translations out there in the English of this, but uh, I like the King James, New King James uh, the best. Now faith is the substance of things, the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. By faith, verse 3 we want to look at, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. Pay attention to that part. What is seen was not made out of what is visible. So there is an unseen reality that exists. There is a thing that you cannot see that is a reality that exists behind everything that you can see. So everything in our universe operates on both a visible plane and an invisible plane, right? We've been hammering this for, I think this is about the fifth message we've done on this, fifth or sixth. And so... The way that I've been explaining this is uh, to look at a computer. And so if you're playing a video game, when you're playing that video game, say Mario Brothers, right? Uh, you enter that world of scene images and sounds and, add, and it's interactive, right? But you can only interact with the game according to the parameters, the rules, the guidelines, the basis that is set by the person who programs the game. So what you're seeing is images and what you're hearing is sounds. But if you could look deeper into the program, you would see an unseen world that is very, very different. That is the programming language that is behind the program, right? So what you're actually seeing is images, but what's unseen, the thing out of which it comes, is a language that is behind the image. And if you could see it, all you'd see is letters and symbols and stuff like that, right? And so, really, faith operates on much the same principle, but faith operates at the level of the programming rather than at the level of playing the game. So, for example, if you're playing the game, you're operating on the scene, the visible plane, and you're interacting according to the rules that are set by the programming, and you're bound uh, by, you're, you're constricted, you're bound because you can only interact on the surface level. But if you knew how to program or you knew how to hack, you could go in behind the program and it's going to operate according to, the, the computer language is going to operate according to a whole different set of rules and laws and a whole language that you have to learn. But if you could hack the program, then you could go in and you could make changes to the game that then totally changes the way that you interact with it when you play the game. Yes? And so faith gives us the ability to not be bound by natural, visible, physical laws. And faith gives us the ability then, through the power of God and through the Word of God, who is a person, not a book. 
see, the one of the problems that we have is the way that we understand what the Word of God is. Now, let me, let me just throw this out. I'm still kind of reviewing just so we can pick up our flow with where we've been, right? And we can go to where we want to go. But you, you also have really two ways of thinking. You have two ways of thinking. You have what we might refer to more as your mind, which is the way that you interact on the visible level, right? So when you're playing the game of life, most of us play it from a mental, play it mentally. We cognitively or, or with our, with our brain, we sit there and try to accumulate facts and decide something. We try to figure out what's the best way to get through this problem. What's the best way to plan for the future or whatever. But we're doing that at the level of simply our, our thinking, like school, right? But you also have a heart that thinks. <laughs> and your heart thinks and plays by a totally different set of rules and guidelines. So when you go to sleep at night, your mind actually shuts down and your heart opens up. And so when you're dreaming, you are actually experiencing the way your heart thinks. And how many of you, your dreams always follow the same rules and guidelines as your waking world? Now, I don't, if you're like me, you have crazy dreams. I told you a while, while back, you know, one of the craziest dreams I ever had was, was I was in the deep end of the ocean with cows. And these cows were swimming in the ocean and they were talking to me. And the fact that the cows were in the ocean talking to me was not even the strange part about the dream. The strange part about the dream is they're holding uh, little boxes from a Chinese restaurant and they have chopsticks and they're eating Chinese food while they're talking to me and while we're all underwater breathing. Now, how many of you know, I mean, so you might think I need counseling or therapy or medication or whatever, but how many of you know your mind doesn't think like that? And how many of you also know that your dreams can have very powerful emotions, whether it is a, uh, a, a longing that's in your heart, whether it is grief of experiencing someone in a dream who's passed on, whether it's a nightmare that leaves you with terror. Uh, there's usually oftentimes, maybe not always, but oftentimes there, uh, an anxiety dream. Anybody ever had an anxiety dream? So there is a feeling component. So the heart actually thinks in images, and the heart actually thinks in metaphors, and the heart actually thinks in feelings. And it does not follow these logical, rational, reasonable uh, parameters that our waking mind does. Right? And so what we begin to understand and see from that then, from the scriptures, is that our mind is given to us to play the video game. But our heart is actually connected to the programming. And so it's through the language of the heart that we begin to hack the universe. See, I wouldn't be able to change the rules to Super Mario Brothers or Pac-Man or World of Warcraft or whatever they're playing these days. I wouldn't be able to change anything about it at a programming level because I don't know anything about the programming language. I don't speak the programming language. But the truth is that you and I came into the world speaking the programming language because the programming language of creation is primarily a language of emotion and a language of feeling that comes from the heart. So that the world was created out of the emotions of God. Did you know that? There's a place in Psalms that says, because of God's great mercy, His loving kindness and His compassion, He brought forth creation. 
There's other places where it talks in Job about when God is creating, that the angels of going, God's creating the seen visible world, that the unseen world is full of joy, that the angels are shouting for praise, and that the sons of God are rejoicing. And so there's this energy, this vibration, this heart energy and vibration of joy that is manifesting the seen world because the language of faith and the language, the, the programming language is the language of feeling. It's the language of heartfelt belief. And it's also the language of images. Everywhere you look in Scripture, when it talks about faith, it connects it to the heart, never to the mind. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. If you speak to the mountain and do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will happen, you will have what you say. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not onto your own understanding. So the language of faith is a language of heart. It's a heart language. It is a language of metaphor. It is a language of symbol. It is a language of imagery. And it is a language of feeling. And somebody had to teach you how to talk. Somebody had to teach you your colors. Somebody had to teach you how to walk. But you came out of the womb knowing how to feel. And unfortunately, we learn learn in our culture how to not feel. (laughs) And it shuts us off from... Some really powerful stuff. Now, I want you to think about this. Every act of creativity. So we're talking about creation. The worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which were seen were not made of things which are visible or comes out of an unseen reality, right? Every act of creation works that way. Whether it's a sculptor who is looking at a piece of clay, he has to have an image inside his mind of what he wants to manifest out here. If it's a painter, he has an image inside his heart or her heart, of what they want to manifest on the canvas. If it's a story writer, songwriter, I could keep going, right? All of that begins at an invisible place, and usually the, the, the things that impact us the most in the world of art are the things that carry a feeling. So the artist has got an image, but the artist also has a feeling that they're pouring into the painting. The musician has a sound, but also has an emotion or a feeling that they're pouring into their music. And those are the things that really impact us. And so the truth is, is that life and living, especially as children of God, especially as sons and daughters of God, living is a creative act. It is a creative act. And we are invited by God to be participants in the universe. We are invited by God to be co-creators with Him to shape the future. The future is not settled. The future is not resolved. The future is not even, and this is going to be very controversial, and I know that, but the future is not even necessarily fully known because it has not yet been fully created. See, what you're standing before right now in your life is an infinite number of unresolved opportunities and possibilities for outcomes for you in your future. God can see all of them because God is all wise. He's able to calculate every possible outcome. So in that sense, God knows the future, but I don't believe God knows exactly what you're going to choose. In fact, I would dare to say that God has so limited His knowledge that the biblical authors write and say the Holy Spirit has to search our hearts. Why would He have to search? 
Because he has limited himself in order that he can share his creativity and his power and his ability with us. So that together as the family of God, as sons and daughters of God, we can look at a wide open future of, of infinite possibilities and together speaking the heart language of faith, we can lock onto a future that we desire and that God desires for us. And together in this spiritual realm, in this, in this reality of things unseen, together we can lock onto something that does not yet exist. It only exists as a possibility in your mind and a possibility in the mind of God. And together, faith is forming a heartfelt agreement with images and emotional power and sustenance to bring forth a future that you and Him dream about together. Now, I know that maybe doesn't fit with your Bible school or Sunday school or whatever, And part of the reason we have trouble is because we don't understand the worlds were framed by the Word of God. And we think the Word of God is a book. It is not a book. Please do not call this the Word of God. It is the Word of God, but it's not the totality of the Word of God. Everything in this book is God-breathed. Everything in this book is God-inspired. Everything in this book comes from God, but not everything about God is in the book. It's not. And, 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 and Jewish people have understood this for centuries. We, you know, we, we, uh, yeah, okay, dial it down. Listen, from a Hebrew perspective, the Word of God, it's the Hebrew word dabar. And dabar is not a written word. Dabar is a creating word. Dabar is the creative energy of God that finds expression in all the various languages that are spoken throughout creation. And music can be a language. Feeling can be a language. Imagery can be a language. It's one of the reasons we have icons in our church. Because it is a language that communicates the gospel. And I believe one of the biggest tragedies in Western culture that we have propagated around the world has been that we have put everything into print and into abstractions. And so there really isn't the emotional concrete power that we need that comes from words alone that can so impact our heart and the creative energies that God has placed inside of us so that we can be effective and powerful children of God who are co-creating and co-shaping and co-framing a new future the way God desires it to be. In order for that to happen, something has to come from the depths of our heart and we have to understand that there is a language of feeling, there is a language of passion, there is a language of imagery and creativity that goes that it surpasses the written word and it is the debar, it is the creative energy of God. And one of the worst things that happens to, one of the best things, one of the best things that ever happened to the church, and one of the worst things that ever happened to the church, happened in the fourth century at the Council of Nicaea. Because in the, in the fourth century at the Council of Nicaea, what happened was, was that faith became understood as a system of beliefs rather than as a living reality engaging life with the living God. And we understood faith as what you believe intellectually rather than what you're believing as an outcome for your future. Every time Jesus talked about faith, He didn't talk about what you believe about God. He talked about how you can operate in order to produce an outcome. Everything about faith in the book is that. 
But when we got, when we got to the Council of Nicaea and it was all about doctrines, now we have a list of things that we believe about God and we call that faith. And that is not faith. That may be doctrine and that may be beliefs, but it is not biblical faith. Because you can assent to everything in the Nicene Creed and still be lost. You can assent to everything in the Nicene Creed and still be struggling and not be able to speak the language of faith. And I think we're coming to a time in the church where people are tired of abstractions, where people are tired of information about God. And there is a hunger inside of people that says there's got to be something more. And God is awakening creative energies and creative powers, stirring them deep inside of His children. And there is something that is breaking loose and about to burst forth upon the scene. You know that, that we're a year away from the 500-year celebration of the Protestant Reformation. And do, you know why the Protestant Reformation was able to catch on? Because of the inventing of the printing press. Because faith now became in word form, letters on pages that became available. And thank God for it, it was necessary. But we have enshrined the letters and we have lost the power of the heart in the church. And I believe there is a spiritual shift that is taking place right now where we are coming to the end of an era that was good, but it is antiquated and it is outdated. And I'm not looking at what God did. I'm standing, I believe, as a child of God and you're standing as a child of God and we're standing as the church of God inside the heart of God. That's where God placed us in Christ and Christ is dwelling in the bosom of the Father and there is a future that has yet to be created. So as the children of God, we have the potential to stand at the event horizon of God, to find out what's in the mind of God and what's in our heart, to bring forth by the power of God and heartfelt beliefs a new future that is shaped and framed by God and by the children of God. I do not believe there is any hope for America in Hillary Clinton. I do not believe there is any hope for America in Donald Trump. I don't think the donkeys or the elephants have it right. I think God is confusing and messing up the whole system because there is a company of people that are about to come on the horizon that have a power and a strength because all they can do is play within the parameters of the video game. And there's a whole bunch of believers that are just playing the video game. But there is a company of people that are going to learn how to hack the system and learn how to hack the universe and they're going to have real answers for real problems that our broken down systems cannot solve and cannot resolve. But we have to wake up and quit doing things the way we've always been doing them and thinking about things the way we've always been thinking about them. And we have to be able to shift from intellectual Christianity to real heartfelt powerful living faith that that touches your heart and touches the heart of God. Are you breathing? Let me give you an example. Come with me to Genesis 15. How many of you know Abraham is called the father of faith? Did you know that? Why is he called the father of faith? Why is that important to us? Because especially in ancient cultures, we don't understand this as much right now, but in ancient cultures, fathers were the pattern for the son. So in other words, you can look at the life of Abraham and find a pattern for shaping the future. That if you are a son or a daughter of Abraham, and you'll walk in the steps of the faith of Abraham, that you yourself can follow. Let's look at Genesis 15. This is so powerful. <clears throat> right off the bat, Genesis 15, verse 1. After this, 
The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, not as a letter, not in a book, in a vision. Are you breathing? Watch this. So he's speaking a different language. It's a language, but it's a different language. Yes? Now we write it. He says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram says, I love this. Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abraham said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. I don't like that translation. In the King James, New King James, it says, What will you give me seeing I go childless? And Eleazar of Damascus. Seeing I go childless. And Eleazar of Damascus is going to be my heir. Because this whole thing is connecting at the level of sight. See, the, see Abraham, or Abram, excuse me, at this point, he's locked onto an outcome for his future, isn't he? He is, he's got a vision for his future. <laughs> and the vision for his future is, because he's past the age of childbearing, his wife is past the age of childbearing, it's impossible for him to have a child from his own body. And so he's focused on his circumstances. He's focused on what's seen. And he begins to base his future off what he sees rather than off of possibilities. He bases his future off of what he has rather than off of the potential of what he might have that he's never had before. And so he's locked, he's actually locked onto an outcome. Now this is important because the language, this, this programming language is a language of heartfelt feeling, but it's also a language of imagery. So what he's imagining, he's actually also participating in the creation of. Which is why for so many of us, we perpetuate the same problem day after day, week after week, year after year. And, the, you know, the, the power of positive thinking, people, thank God for all that. I, I, it's better than being negative. To try to be positive. But it, it, it's, it's coming from a paradigm that only reprograms the mind and does nothing to touch the heart. So you sit there and try to say, okay, I'm going to be, it's going to be better. It's going to be a better day. Something good's going to happen, but it's not really coming from down here because down here, unconsciously even, maybe for some of us, you are already locked onto a future where you stay sick. You're already locked onto a future where you stay broke. You're already locked onto a future where you stay limit, lim, uh, limited or where you stay stuck in a bad situation, a bad relationship, whatever the case may be. And so you just, that, that's the image that you're locked onto. So every morning you get up and you reproduce that image. And as you reproduce that image, you're creating the outcome. And then you want God to come. I know none of us in here do this, but people on the video or whatever, right? We want God to come and wave His wand and do something for us. But see, that violates... that. When we expect God, when we pray expecting God to do something for us, we violate our own integrity and honor as children of God. Only a person who's powerless depends on someone else to do something for them. And oftentimes God does not heed our prayers because to heed our prayers is to reinforce an unconscious belief of powerlessness and perpetuate our spiritual immaturity.
And so what God does is God creates the future with you from the inside out by creating something inside you. See, until something new is created inside you, you'll never be able to have something new outside you. And so God always answers the prayer or works the prayer out, the answer to the prayer out with you and through you, never independently of you. Because if he doesn't independently of you, he's dishonoring you as his son. And heaven operates off of a culture of honor. So he's got limited vision. So then, verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to him, uh, came to him again, saying, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is from your own flesh and blood, or from your own body, some translations say, will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said, so shall your seed be. And Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. So let's do this again. Abram is locked on to an outcome for his future that has him feeling limited and powerless and hopeless. And it's what he's seeing that's the problem. Right? So God comes as a vision and opens up a realm of abundance. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. And once he gets a vision of God's abundance, the first thing he does is he he, he cries out to God and he says, what are you going to give me? Seeing this. I think he's crying out from a very deep place of the heart. I don't think he's just got his list. Well... I think when God really shows up in your life, when you real, you and I really have encounters with the presence of God, it opens things up in our heart and there is something begins to emerge that is a heartfelt feeling that connects with the abundance of God that says, what are you going to give me? What are you going to do for me? And watch the process. So he's coming from a deep place of desire. See it? We're, I think we're afraid to do that. Lord, let your will be done. Well, really, God's interested in the desires of your heart. I mean, John 15, verse 7 really does say, if you abide in Him and His words abide in you, you will ask what you will and it will be done for you. Psalm 37 really does say, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desire of your heart. And there are some things, because the future is open-ended, God hasn't decided. If the future, I'm going to say it again, if the future really is open-ended, then God hasn't decided and you're asking Him for His decision and God doesn't want to operate that way. Doesn't mean you get everything that you want, but first service, if you were here, Pastor Oleg was talking about uh, prayer and he says it's not a monologue, it's a dialogue. How many of you know the will of God is not a monologue? The will of God is not God has settled it and decided it and He's going to tell you what to do. The will of God actually has to do with your becoming and your being more than it does what you experience circumstantially. And part of how you become a mature, developed son or daughter of the living God is by engaging God at the level of what you really want. See, until you get gut level honest with God and with yourself and say, God, I'm tired of the life that I've had. I'm tired of replaying that every single day of my life. 
and there's something deep inside my heart that's crying out. And yeah, I may be disappointed, and yeah, I may be let down, and yeah, they may have told me as a child, don't get your hopes up. But, but there comes a place in God, that holy space that he opens up, where we get honest with ourselves about what we want, and we get honest with God about what we want, and we're not afraid to put it out there. What will you give me, seeing I go childless? And so what does God do? The first thing God does, this is so cool, man. The first thing he does is take him out. Now you think they're sitting in, he's sitting in the tent. And God just takes him outside. But you don't know he's sitting in the tent. Because it never says that he is. First of all. And secondly, the language that the Hebrew writer uses. See, there's things coded in the Bible. The Jews understand this. Christians, we don't understand this. We're too concerned about taking the Bible literally. Jews, Jewish people who've had the book much longer than we have, they don't do that. There's at least four levels of interpretation of Scripture from a Jewish perspective. And one of those levels is, is that hidden in the text, there are deeper meanings of truth that don't connect with the historical realities because it's not speaking the language of the mind. It connects with eternal spiritual realities and processes that you're living in. And a truly Jewish believer believes that what Abraham was doing was he was opening up the channels between humanity and divinity that were closed by Adam at the fall. That God actually started over with Abraham. He didn't start over with Jesus. The new humanity is the seed of Abraham, but it's the seed that's, of the, that's by faith. He brings it to its full conclusion in Christ and in his church, but he begins it with Abraham. So Abraham is reopening the channels between the visible and the invisible. And so at a deeper level of the text, when you see that, you can operate in the faith of Abraham and you can access what he accessed and you can have what he had. But it applies to your context, to your desires, to your world, to your life. So when it says they took him out, you know what the word is? It's the same word that's used for the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt. Why is that important? Because the book of Genesis is not being written as it happens. The book of Genesis is being given to Moses after the exodus. So God is deliberately embedding something in the text for them to see about themselves. That you will, you and I, what we need, if we are living the same thing over and over and over again, if we're living our own personal version of Bill Murray's Groundhog Day, what we need first before we can create a new future is an exodus from the box that we've trapped ourselves in. And so Abram has trapped himself inside a box that doesn't fit his desire. See, Abraham has this great big desire, but he's got this for a, for, a, for a family, for a legacy, for a seed, for a future. But he's got this tiny box of his present that says you can't have it because you're past the age of childbearing. You can't have it because, look, Eliezer of Damascus is going to be your heir. And, he, and, and he's tried to fit that desire inside that box. And, what real, and so he's enslaved. <laughs> And so the first thing he needs from God is an exodus event. So God takes him out. 
God takes him out and shows him something else. (laughs) See, you thought he took him outside. No, 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 no. He took him outside of his own internal vision so he could capture a vision from heaven that was more expansive and more abundant, with full of more potential than anything he had ever imagined before. He's having an exodus internally. He's getting outside the box that he put himself in so that God can expand his vision so that he can lock onto an encounter that fits the size of his desire. So he takes him out into the heavens and shows him the stars of the sky and says, look, fix your eyes on this. If you can see this, then so shall your seed be. You see it? Now, the other thing that's cool about this, when it says the word of the Lord came to him, it's actually a creative act. It's actually a creative act in in the Hebrew. It's the process of becoming. So in other words, when you're participating in the Word of the Lord, it's not it's not just written pages. It's not just promises. It is the creative energy that's behind behind creation that connects with you at very deep levels. So that when you begin to get real with God and you begin to get honest with yourself about your desires and you begin to allow him to take you through an exodus event what happens is is you begin to participate in the very creative energy of God to bring forth a new future you begin to participate in a whole new becoming all right So in this sense, listen to this, Abram's heartfelt desire for a child released him from the bondage of the physical arena and opened before him a new world of heavenly possibilities. When he says, look at the stars, fix your gaze on the stars, that's another interesting Hebrew word because it literally means to look across. (laughs) Look across something. Really, the, the, the imagery there is look across, look into the future. See, what would happen if you just didn't believe your own PR? Okay, you know what that is, right? What if you didn't believe your own public relations? What if you didn't believe your own story about your possibilities? What if you stopped believing Eleazar of Damascus is going to be my heir? What if you stopped playing that movie in your head, running those images through your head, and you stopped believing that? And you just come to sort of a neutral place, And you begin to look across into your future and consider what possibilities you might be able to have an experience with God. What if you just did that? You begin to fix your mind and your imagination on a new possibility, on a new outcome that's in line with what your heart's desires. And then he says, so shall your seed be. (laughs) Look at the stars, if you can count them, if you can fix your gaze, if you can look across and fix your gaze, so shall your seed be. And again, in the original language, it means, so shall your seed be. It, it It involves a becoming process. Actually, one of the ways it could be translated, to turn oneself into something. If you can see it, you can become it. And you can have it. But you cannot have what you want till you first become what you want. You cannot have the peace that you're thinking till you first become peace 
on the inside. You cannot have the abundance that you're seeking until you first become abundance on the inside. You cannot have health until you first become healthy on the inside. You cannot impact the world for missions or for Jesus until you first become that person who's impacting the world for Jesus. You cannot have the change that you desire until you first become the change that you desire. That's what God's telling Abram. So it starts out, what are you going to do for me? (laughs) And God answers the question by saying, I'm going to change you. See, we want God to change the circumstances. God, what are you going to do for me? Give me a new job. God, what are you going to do for me? Heal my body. God, what are you going to do for me? Fix my spouse. God, what are you going to do for me? Fix this situation. Fix my kids. Whatever. And God says, I'll tell you what I'll do for you. I'll turn you into a different person. (laughs) I'll walk you through an exodus event where you walk out of the limitations of what you're thinking and you become something brand new. You become someone brand new. And when you become someone brand new, you have shifted from powerlessness to powerfulness. You have shifted from hopelessness to a place of hope and a living faith where now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things that you cannot see. Now, this is so cool because he tells him in here, from your own body. I, I hate our translations. The, the Jewish Bible actually translates it correctly. We don't. You can go online the, to the Jewish, whatever, Judaism, the Bible they use. What it literally says there is from your inner person, so shall it be. Actually, what it says is, as it is within you, so shall it spring forth. As it is within you. See, before within him was Eleazar of Damascus. God takes him through an exodus event to get him outside of that box. Brings him into the heavens and says, begin to dream with me. Begin to think with me about a new possibility. Fix your eyes on this. And once you get that in turn, once you're aligned, this is is what I've been saying, once your desire, your imagination, and your intention is aligned in a place of union with God's creative divine energies, then as it is within, so shall it be without. And as it is above, so shall it be beneath. And as it is in heaven, so shall it be on the earth. Because you really are the vehicle of change. You are the technology of God that He has chosen to express Himself through in order to transform the present and create an entirely different future. So that the prophetic word is not so much about seeing an outcome that God's already decided upon. The prophetic word is participating in the creative energy of God to create the outcome that the two of you have agreed upon. Whew. Think about this moment. Just just capture this moment right here. Wherever you're at in your life, 
Nothing is fully determined or fully decided for you past this moment. Everything about who you are and everything about your life can change right now at this moment. Because you're going to leave here and you're going to create a future. This afternoon, tomorrow, next week. And we've got two choices, really. Either we can go out of here unconscious and asleep, unaware of the fact that we are creating our own boxes and our own outcomes, and continue to unconsciously create a future that catches us by surprise. Or we can grab this moment, and we can say, I've got the rest of my life, whatever I have left, And I'm going to live it as consciously and as intentional and with as much purpose and imagination and heartfelt desire and passion as I possibly can, walking in the Spirit, walking in union with God through the person of Christ, participating in the Logos, which is not a book, it's a person, who holds everything together, And is the technology for manifesting the future. So really what you have to lay down is, are you willing to sacrifice who you are in order to become who you might be? To have a better and brighter future. Not just for yourself but for the world around you and for your kids and for your grandkids. And it's never too late because if God was done working with you, you would not have breath in your lungs. As long as you're still breathing, there's still purpose in your life. As long as that heart is still beating, it's beating because there's still some music inside you that hasn't been sung yet. Is still beating because there's still dreams inside you that haven't been dreamed yet. There's still pictures of the future that haven't been painted yet. God still has something meaningful and powerful and desirable for each and every single one of us. But the question becomes, what are we going to do with this moment? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I I just thank you for your people. Lord, we love your people. Lord, your, your creation, your new creation is so amazing, so incredible, so awesome. Father, religion and tradition and life has just beaten so many of us down, put us inside boxes. So, Lord, I'm asking this morning that you would get inside that box, just like you got inside Abram's box, that you would get inside our box. And that you would help us, Lord, that you would initiate for us a true Exodus event from where we are to where we could be. So, Holy Spirit, would you just minister right now at a very deep and powerful and emotional level to every single one of your kids. 
because there's so much freedom that we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen. It is the first Sunday of the month, so it is Communion Sunday. So we're going to close with the Lord's Supper. We're going to pray. We're going to bless the elements. We're going to invite you to come and partake. And then we will have our ministry teams available to uh, minister to you. If, if you know, you know, God really is doing something in your heart this morning, but you know you don't have closure to it yet, you understand what I mean by that? I, I don't want to send you home. Well, kind of I do, because sometimes the best growth you do is when you go home wrestling and struggling. But, but we have people here to help you, right? <laughs> I mean, it really is true. We have people here to help you, uh, to minister to you, to agree with you in prayer. So our ministry teams will be up here as well. Um, but let's go ahead and pray and bless the elements, and we invite you to partake. We do have uh, waste baskets as you're going out the door, so we just ask that you would be uh, careful not to spill juice, because that makes Wally's job a lot easier if you don't do that. And, uh, and just conscientious enough to throw your cups away as you're leaving. So, but let's pray and bless the elements. So, Father, we thank you for um, this Communion Sunday. We thank you for the bread. We thank you for the cup. Uh, we thank you that the bread represents your body that was broken for us, that the cup represents the blood of the new covenant shed for the remission of our sins. Thank you that we can come to your table as your sons and as your daughters, as your children. Thank you that we can come blessed and forgiven, highly favored. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would infuse those elements with your grace, with your presence, and with your divine energy to bring strength and power to our lives as we partake by faith. Thank you for meeting us at the place of the broken bread and the cup of your blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Got it on either side here. We invite you to come partake. Again, if you'd like prayer, we'll have our ministry teams. And it doesn't have to relate to the message. If you'd like prayer for healing or a financial need or whatever's going on in your life, please feel free to come and receive prayer. Oleg, thank you for being with us. God bless you. You're free to come talk to him about what he's doing. Have a great, wonderful day.